Jewish Latin Princess, Episode 46, Yael Trush, The Pursuit of Happiness Redefined. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at jewishlatinprincess.com, your host, Yael. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Yael Trush, your host, and I'm back from St. Louis, Missouri. Actually, I was in a little town called New Haven, Missouri, and I was at a retreat hosted by the JCC of St. Louis. The JCC of St. Louis has a division called Nishma, which hosts a women's Shabbaton every two years. And I had the pleasure to be their keynote speaker. And I am so, so re-energized and pumped up because we really had an amazing weekend. I We just had a lot of fun. So I decided to put together this special episode to give you a little bit of a synopsis of one of my talks over there, actually my keynote on the topic of happiness. As you know, the topic of happiness is one of the hot self-help topics um, of the last 10, 15 years. In fact, I was telling the ladies in St. Louis that if you do a Google search for happiness, it yields 198 million results. And there's over 100,000 books being sold on Amazon on the topic of happiness or related topics. That's a lot of books written and a lot of searching. I often wonder what would the founding fathers of our country say if they saw society today? I mean, didn't we tell you to pursue happiness? Isn't that what it says? Every man has an inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They'd say, what's wrong with everyone, right? Be happy already. Everybody's seeking it, and it seems like the more we search for it, the farther away we're getting away from it. We need to ask ourselves whether we're looking for happiness in the wrong places and whether we're just defining happiness in the wrong way. As a Jewish woman, I look to Judaism for answers to lifestyle questions. That shouldn't come as a surprise to any of you. For Judaism is not just a religion. Judaism is much more than that. It's a way of life. So I ask myself, what can Judaism teach me about living a happy life? We're starting Rosh Chodesh Adar. We're starting the month of Adar this week. It's going to be Rosh Chodesh this Thursday and Friday. And the Gemara says, Mishenichnas Adar Marvim Besimcha. When the month of Adar enters, we increase in Simcha, in joy. Well, if I have to increase in Simcha and happiness, that assumes that I'm already happy. We're already joyful. Come Adar, we just have to take it up a notch. So Judaism itself must have already given us the guidelines to obtain this happiness that it assumes we have, if it's asking us to go ahead and increase in it at a certain time of year. I was reminded of episode 35 of Jewish Latin Princess with um, Fagy Pollock. If you remember that episode, she's an expert on marital intimacy. It's an excellent episode. And in it, Fagy shared with us the following 
expression. She said, don't share for, don't search for the way to happiness, but rather for the happiness along the way. And that's exactly what I think Judaism gives us, the happiness along the way through this journey called life. So we don't have to be pursuing happiness. Jewish life gives us a framework through which we will find the happiness that exists along the way. And so I shared in St. Louis, and I'm going to share with you today, three ways in which I believe Judaism does this for us and which I've found helpful in my own life. And I'm going to leave a lot of the jokes and just try to just make it, um, you know, as concise as possible. Um, So point number one is redefine yourself. I shared with my audience that if we live our life in terms of what we perceive with our physical senses, what we can see and touch, we're getting a very limited view of life and of ourselves. We may be physical beings, but we have a soul that is the very essence of our existence. This soul is transcendent in nature, as it says in the book of Job, the flame of God is the soul of man. And if you look at the flame of a candle closely, you will see an an approximation of your soul. The flame reaches upward as if towards God, yet the wick pulls it back to earth. Similarly, our souls are constantly reaching upwards, while our bodies hold us back with the demands for physical sustenance. There's a tension between body and soul. One wants to go up and the other one wants to go down. And to be a wholesome and healthy person, your body and soul need to work in harmony. They need to be aligned. We don't need to choose one over the other, indulgence or abstinence. We can and we must merge body and soul. We have to integrate them towards fulfilling one objective, spiritualizing the material. And I think you all know how we do this. There's 1613 ways, right? It's mitzvot. Mitzvot are the way we integrate both body and soul. We take physical things and our physical environment and we elevate them to reveal the godliness inherent in them. There is a story told of the great Rabbi Levi Yitzhak of Radichev, who is one day looking out over the town square, and he sees that people are just flying through. They're just rushing everywhere. Everywhere he looks, everyone is rushing, like Grand Central Station in New York City. So he stops one man and he says, what are you rushing for? The man was obviously annoyed at the question because he is in a rush after all, replies, I'm running to make a living, my, my parnasa. So Rabbi Levi Yitzhak says, What makes you so sure that your livelihood is in front of you? What if it's behind you? Maybe you should stop and let it catch up to you. We travel so fast that we completely miss the view sometimes. We're looking for happiness, for richness materially and spiritually, for depth, for joy. Where do we find it? If we would slow down a little bit, we would listen. We would be able to listen to our soul. And Judaism has this way of forcing us to slow down. Um, very, very often, right? God, I often say that God does not have the same sense of time as as we do. And it's taken me years. It's taken it's taken me years to uh, adjust to this to this. Um, and you know, it's almost like, can we get going already? It's like Abby Pogerbin mentioned in the episode Jewish Latin Princess. I can't remember what episode she is. Something like fourteen, maybe. Um, but um, you could look her up. It's a great episode. And she wrote the book, My Jewish Year. And in that interview, you'll hear her telling me, well, you know, it seems like there's a new holiday every three days. Yeah. And she's right. But it's not even that. 
It's the little things, right? You're exhausted. You want to crash in bed. Ah, not so fast. Shema. You want to eat something. You're starving. Well, is it fit for my body and my soul? Is it kosher? And then you have to say a bracha. And then after you eat it, you have to say a bracha, a blessing. And you have a million things to do in the office. But eh, guess what? It's, it's that time of the week. Shabbat is coming. No more work, right? You got a new client. New payment came in. Great. I wanted a new pair of shoes. There's a great Nordstrom sale. Eh, not so fast. You have to take 10% off of the top. It's not your money and it's definitely not Nordstrom's money. It's God's money. You're just the agent of that money, right? So Judaism is not ways. It won't tell you what's the fastest route because it's not about speed. It's about the journey and paying attention throughout the journey. You have to listen. We have to listen. And the ways lady talking every minute is just way too distracting. So we have to grab the good old map. And the good old map is not just an ancient relic like the maps today's, if you know, if those even exist. Um, our map is really an eternal. It's God's eternal wisdom. It actually speaks to our reality today. And it tries to shape us into mindful human beings, into individuals who could take care of their soul as much as their body, into women who can allow the innermost part of themselves to find expression in their physical existence. So I really think we need to stop looking for happiness, for meaning, for God. And what we really need to do is listen to our soul. She's trying to speak to us. We just have to listen. And you know what she's saying? She says, hey, I'm here. I want to grow. I want expression. I want to flourish. I'm here to work with you. Allow me to express myself. Give me a mitzvah, please. I think I've told you this before, but the word mitzvah comes from tzavta, connection. Um, well, actually, a deeper, the deeper meaning of those words is connection. When we do a mitzvah, we're connecting our soul to its source, to God himself. The Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe and the author of the Holy Book of Tanya, quotes the Book of Job, explaining that a Jew has a divine spark, a divine soul. As it says in Job, mimal mamash. The Alter Rebbe adds the word mamash, meaning or mamash, meaning the Torah is not speaking figuratively. It's not figure of speech. It's not poetic license. He says it's literally mamash, a piece of God. That is our true identity, says the Alta Rebbe. We are a piece of God. There's a beautiful story of a, a student of Freudian psychology who once went to the Lubavitcher Rebbe and told him, I've been learning that Judaism teaches that our real identity is the soul, which is divine, um, holy. But, you know, Freud talks about the id. And the id has a lot of cuckoo, wacko stuff going on in there. So which one is it? Is it the way Freud describes it? Or is, it, is there something here that I'm missing? So the rabbi said to him, sure, if we dig deep within ourselves we're going to un uncover a lot of schmutz. There's a lot of stuff going on. It's like when you dig the earth, there are layers upon layers of mud, right? And as you go deeper, the colors and the textures of the earth change. But if you go deep enough, what do you find? You find diamonds. Freud found the id, he told them. 
But had he dug a little deeper, he would have found the Yid. When we find the Yid, when we identify with, connect to, and give expression to that pure soul of ours through the physical world, we will be able to live happy lives. Which is, by the way, why a Jewish birthday is so important. If you'll remember from my interview with Abi Pogorin, um, it, uh, I reminded her about this, to celebrate her Jewish birthday. The Hebrew date of your birth is the day your soul was chosen to come into your body. God chose you to come down to this earth to fulfill a special mission. Your Hebrew birthday is the day God said, you matter. I need you. You're my partner. And isn't that cause for celebration? So being that this is Jewish Latin princess, right? I say, Everybody should throw themselves a second party, a party, right? Go find out what is your Hebrew birthday and celebrate. Celebrate it. Acknowledge the essential side of you on that special friend. Recognize that that is an essential part of who you are. And the way you do it is you share with friends, you invite them, you could eat your cake, why not? You share a word of Torah, of inspiration, something that could be helpful to others and which has been helpful to you. You give charity in honor of your birthday, right? You give of yourselves to change the the world, right? You look at the year that passed and you set new goals for the new year. So, I have given you permission to celebrate, to have two parties this year, right? Which brings me to my second share a lesson that I learned from Judaism, and that is celebrate. When I was about 18 years old, I was on a trip to Israel, um, and I was studying at Hebrew University of Jerusalem, and I think, I think it was that time. But anyway, I was very young, and I happened to have been in Israel. I've been to Israel several times. I can't remember the context, but I know I was part of a group of you know, European and uh, American kids. And we had a speaker. And this is what I remember. She was a beautiful older woman. So put together, so eloquent, so cheerful. And she happened to have been a Holocaust survivor. And I don't remember what she said about her experience. But there is one thing that I remember from everything she said. I remember this clearly. She said that every week she has a great party to go to, and that is Shabbat. She said once a week, she dresses up in her finest, she, her family gets together, she takes out her finest china, etc. And I rea- this, this image just has stayed with me for such a long time, and it's so true. We celebrate creation, we do this every single week, um, and you know, it just makes me over time, I just realized it's true. Judaism doesn't rain on any parties. We're not ascetics. In fact, at the, at the very least, every week we should celebrate. That's why, again, we put out flowers, we taste the best wine, the best food, nine, nice clothes, and we take a break from the grind of the week. And I wonder like, what other nation can do that? Think about it. It makes absolutely no sense. I would only think that royalty could do such a thing, right? Indulge and just just take a break from everything just because, right? Well, not because we do it because God told us, but really who else has the ability to do that? Indulge in a beautiful feast, rest, sleep later, read, go for a walk, talk to our families, right? Say no to the demands of the boss or the business or whatever. Pure pleasure, 
We have a mitzvah in Judaism to rejoice in the festivals. Besamachta bechagecha. And um, it's really fun that the Gemara says um, that women should buy jewelry and new clothes, right? Because that's the way we rejoice in the festivals. I think it actually says that the husband has to buy her jewelry and clothes. But I say, listen, what if the husband is not around or he doesn't buy them, right? We buy it. <laughs> um, because this is what it's saying, that this is what's going to make us if happy, this is what's going to put us in a festive mood. Mood and um, the Benny Shai, I understand, also said that something new makes a woman happy. Men don't understand it. Men might think that we buy because we need, right? But really, um, and they might tell you, well, it's expensive. <laughs> and I say, you know what's, you know what's the most expensive thing? There's nothing more expensive than a sad woman. <laughs> So we have to celebrate and enjoy the pleasures in life. And by the way, this is also why we have blessings of enjoyment. These are blessings we say on our food and other things that we enjoy. And obviously, based on number one, redefine yourself. We understand that we're not looking at pleasure as a way to only serve ourselves, our bodies. That's never going to lead to happiness, but as a way to connect to our innermost selves, our soul, and connect it to its source, to God. He wants us to derive pleasures from everything that he allows us to partake in this physical world within the guidelines that he prescribed. Pleasure within our marriage, pleasure within our holidays, in our way of dress, in how we eat and what we eat, etc. We need to celebrate. Number three, appreciate. And this has a lot to do with changing our mindset. The word simcha is connected to the Hebrew word for mind, machshava. Happiness is in your mind, and I don't mean in losing your mind. The Alter Rebbe says in the book of Tanya, Moach shalit ala lev. The brain sh- rules over the heart. We can use our mind to control our emotions. And the Alter Rebbe says that that is an inborn trait of every human being. We just have to actually utilize it. There's an insightful verse in the Torah in the book of Devarim that says, Tachas asher lo avata es Hashem elokecha besimcha uvetuv levav mirav kol. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with happiness and with gladness of heart for, from the abundance of everything. In other words, appreciate, have gratitude for the abundance of everything. See what you have, not what you're lacking. Being happy rests in our ability to use our mind to appreciate the abundant blessings in our lives. There's a direct connection between focusing on and appreciating the blessings that we have been given and experiencing joy. Rashi, the foremost commentator of the Torah, goes further and interprets the part of the verse that states, that states Mirav Kol, from an abundance of everything, as, while you still had an abundance of good. You didn't serve me with joy and gladness of heart while you still had an abundance of good, which is something we see in human nature. It's hard to feel grateful for the abundance in our lives. We take it for granted. And in fact, we we tend to appreciate things only when, God forbid, we lose them. So according to Rashi, God is saying, you need to appreciate it while you have it. So the Torah is really talking to a real challenge of the human condition, one which is so very true to our lives today. Pirkei Avot says, Eisehu ashir hasamech bechelko. Ashir is another word for happy. So it means who is happy or who is rich. 
the one who is happy with what, what he has. We live in a world of if only this, if only that, if only I had a thinner body, a better mother-in-law, a better husband, a larger bank account. We, there's millions of dollars in marketing and advertising helping feed the if only mindset and pushing us further away from the gratitude mindset. In fact, with our little phones, which are marvelous tools, but it's also become increasingly easy to look at what others have instead of looking at what we have. We constantly open them to see what our quote unquote friends have. We're looking at everybody else's lives, right? Everybody's posting their best lives. Everybody looks prettier and rosier by, you know, and you're left with feelings of inadequacy, depression, longing. How come my life is not as good as hers? If only I had this or that, right? So it takes so much conscious effort to be grateful, to not take things for granted, and to really be mindful of the abundance that we actually do have in our lives. We have a beautiful prayer that we say every morning when we first wake up, and I invite you to learn it. And if you don't know it, and if you'd like a card to have with you to remind yourself, you can order one at thankyoumendel.com. And this is the Mode Ani. Many of you might be familiar with it. Those first seconds of consciousness. Mode Ani lefanecha melech chai vekayam shechazarta binishmati bechemla raba emunasecha. I am thankful to you, living and eternal King, for you have mercifully restored my soul within me. Your faithfulness is great. If you take those 12 words and you analyze them, it's the most profound and empowering thing. First of all, we wake up as grateful human beings with a gratitude mindset, being grateful for the most basic that my soul was given back to me so that I can go and do stuff in this world. Now it gets even more powerful than that. It says you have faithfulness, your your faithfulness is great. So God has faithfulness in us with all, all our imperfections and our handicaps and our weaknesses. Apparently, if we're still here and Baruch Hashem we are, we still have what to give. We have what to offer him. We have what to offer his world, which is really pretty amazing. And that's just one little tiny thing in Jewish life. And this gratitude mindset continues throughout our day. You know, a Jewish person says about a hundred blessings a day, thanking Hashem for the food we eat, thanking Hashem for letting us distinguish between light and darkness, between good and not good, thanking Hashem that our bodies function optimally optimally, etc., etc. There were once two students of the Maggid of Mezrich, who was the student of the Baal Shem Tov, who was the founder of the Hasidic movement. And these two students, they didn't understand a certain passage in the Talmud. It says there, a person has to bless upon the bad, just as it blesses upon the good. Now, obviously, this is a very difficult concept to understand, because if something good happens to us, like we get the job that we wanted, or we get a raise, or any other, you know, great news, we obviously, we're obviously happy. We obviously are grateful. We obviously celebrate. But what about when things are not going the way we want, right? So the students had a hard time. They couldn't, they couldn't wrap their heads around this concept. So they asked the maggot and the maggots told them that he couldn't answer their question, but there was one person who could actually give him an answer. And that was Reb Susha of Anapoli. So, okay, they get ready to go travel to Anapoli to find this Reb Sushach. And they travel and travel in the cold Russian winter. And they get to this person's home. And 
they are shocked because it's this hut that is totally dilapidated and falling apart and they gently knock on the door you know fearful that the the door would fall off its hinges and a cheerful happy welcoming susha opens the door and he invites them in he asks them to what does he owe the honor of their visit who are they where they're coming from and the students come in and there is not even a place to sit they're sitting on benches made out of straw and they really can't understand why the maggot would think that this simple man would have the answer to their difficult question but the susha asked them you know why why they were there so they told them they were students of the maggot and susha is so happy the maggot and how is he and so on and so forth and they tell them their question so susha says to them i'm sorry i just don't don't have an answer to their question to your question and so they said no you must have an answer the maggot told us to come here we've traveled this far you must think really hard but you have an an you must have an answer to this question so he's thinking and he's thinking again and he's pacing around the room and he comes back to them and he says a person has to bless upon the bad just as it blesses upon the good i'm sorry i just i've never had anything bad happen to me I've never experienced any challenges. And so the two young men look around the room and they are incredulous and they are like, okay. And we can only imagine that they had a lot to think about on their way back home. Most of us will never achieve that state of being, which is that the physical world doesn't affect me. It doesn't impact my mood, my state of being. It's not a challenge. But what we can grasp and work on every single day is the concept behind this. That is that my attitude, how I view things, changes my whole reality. There's another story about Rav Susha, which I love, and it's a favorite in my home. And I'm going to share it with you. It's a story of Rav Susha and his brother Elimelech. They were disciples of the Maggot of Mezrich. One day, the two brothers are walking by, and they get into some trouble with the Russian poets, the landowner, and they get thrown in jail. So they're in jail, and jail those days is just one room with, you know, a bunch of thugs, everybody's together. So they're sitting in a corner trying not to, you know, get and make any trouble. Then, you know, there's anti-Semites and all sorts of things. So they're just sitting in jail. And eventually the time for Mincha comes, and Elimelech starts crying. So Susha, his brother, says, why are you crying? And Elimelech points to the middle of a room and says, look, don't you see what was there? Well, there was no plumbing. And if they had plumbing, they weren't investing it in the Russian um, prison system. So there was a pot, otherwise known as the chamber pot. And so according to Jewish law, when there is such a disgusting thing in the room, you're not allowed to pray. So Elimelech is crying to, and says to his brother, look what there is in the room. And so Susha turns to his brother and says, but my dear brother, don't you realize that the same God who commanded you to pray also commanded you not to pray when the room is unfit for prayer? By not praying in this room, you've actually connected to God. You've actually done exactly what you were meaning to do through praying. 
connecting to God. At that point, Elimelech gets so happy and he hugs his brother and they're both smiling. And, you know, they're so joyful that they jump and then they start singing and dancing. And then, of course, you know, there's Ivan the pickpocket and there's, you know, Alexander the I don't know what. And slowly but surely, everybody in jail kind of joins the two Jewish men because what else is there to do in jail, right? And before you know it, they're all dancing the horror and there's a whole commotion and the guard bashes into the room to, to see what is going on here, right? And so everybody backs backs up and says, oh, it's those Jews, it was those Jews, we don't know. So the guard asks one of the prisoners and the prisoner says, we have no idea. They were first discussing something about the chamber pot and you know, then they started getting all happy and they kept pointing at this chamber pot and just started dancing. And so the guard says, Oh, really? That's what's making them so happy? That's what's causing this? Here, I'll show them. And he grabs the chamber pot and he takes it out of the room. And so Susha turns to his brother Elimelech and says, Now, my dear brother, you can pray. Where does the joy of Elimelech come from? From connecting with God, being connected with his creator. The same God who says that you should connect with him through morning prayer says that in this particular circumstance, the way to connect with him is by not praying. And what had Susha and Elimelech achieved? Not just connection with God. They were able to use their true inner happiness derived from that connection to change their reality. This is what the Baal Shem Tov refers to as Simcha Poritz Geder. Joy breaks all barriers. So much so that the same guy who put the chamber pot can actually come and take it away. We have what it takes to be happy. It's in a way of life called Judaism. And no, Judaism does not promise us that we're going to have a life without challenges or without pain. For whatever reasons we can't understand fully, God created a world in which challenges are just going to be part of the script, right? But Judaism does promise us that despite the trials and challenges, or perhaps through them, we can actually find happiness along the journey that is our life. So there you go, ladies. Redefine yourselves, celebrate, and appreciate. And let me know how it goes. May we be able to all together join in the ultimate celebration and joy for the entire world and for the Jewish people with a final redemption. And that's a wrap, ladies. That was a short synopsis of what I talked about on Shabbat morning in St. Louis. It was actually really, I, I caught a lot of the stories and a lot of the jokes and personal anecdotes. I wanted to just get to the crooks of the, you know, of, of, of the speech and hopefully, you know, just keep it succinct so you could take the, the, make the most out of it. But um, so I hope it was helpful. Thank you for being here again. Thank you for listening. Share it with your friends. And let me know if you have ideas of women who should be joining the show. I always like to hear from you. And I look forward to having you here next week. We have Jamie Geller, the queen of kosher. So it's going to be, you know, royalty together. It's going to be a great episode. See you next time. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes leave a rating, and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. To access today's show notes, ask Yael a question, or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show, visit JewishLatinPrincess.com.